I'm the only black female-owned beverage manufacturing operation. And so because it's a unique story, media has gravitated to it. It's like this, is she going to sink or is she going to swim kind of thing? Everybody's wondering, am I going to end up being successful? No, I have not reached a level of success that I would like to. I still consider myself a success in the making. A lot of people are calling me an overnight success, but it took me 10 years to become what they're calling an overnight success. And we're just getting started. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome to another rewind edition of Side Hustle Pro. So have you guys been enjoying the rewinds? I hope so, but you'll be happy to know that I just recorded my first June episode. I'll be batch recording episodes through the end of this month for several months ahead. So yes, new episodes are loading. I am excited. This hiatus period has been a really good refresh for me, you know, to think of fresh new themes, content, ideas, and I'm just overall just feeling really excited about the direction of the show. Additionally, I've really loved seeing people discover and rediscover these episodes, which are some of the best of Side Hustle Pro episodes. So I've seen people tweeting out lessons that they've learned. People have shared IG videos and I just love it. Like these are episodes that, you know, as you do more episodes, new listeners tend to just come in and listen to the latest one. But now you got to go back in the archives. There are some gems in there. So Thank you all for tuning in during the month of May. So today's guest is Naila Ellis-Brown, the creator of Ellis Island Tea. I wanted to rewind this episode in particular because it's been really amazing to watch Naila grow. And she's recently shared some Facebook updates that have been so inspiring. Actually, I'm going to read one. So here's what she had to say recently. Naila says, after 10 plus years of failing, receiving no after no after no, breakdowns, built up to letdowns, quitting, crying, anger, doubt, questioning, being laughed at, fear, wasted time, wasted money, stress, and every other reason not to, we did. Ellis Island Tea is now in every Sam's Club in the U.S., Ugh, I'm so proud of Naila. Like, you'll hear on this episode that this is something she had just tipped her toe into when we spoke. And now she is in every Sam's Club in the United States. That is huge. She also recently wrote that she is taking her core team on the first ever company trip to celebrate. The team worked really hard on getting this national Sam's Club placement. And with many of them hitting their breaking point at least once during the whole process. So you can imagine... It's important to take a break, look at what you've accomplished, and just take a step back from work for a minute. So I'm really glad they're getting the opportunity to do that. So without further ado, let's listen to today's episode and see where it all started. I'm so proud and happy for Naila. Hey, Naila, welcome to the guest chair. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course. So walk us a little bit through your upbringing. I'm really curious to know how your upbringing influenced your entrepreneurial fire. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur as a young girl? Actually, yes, I did. And independence is something that our my mother instilled in me. And she always taught us that, me and my siblings, there's four of us, that Anything you want in life, 
go for it. Whatever makes you happy, as long as you can pay your bills doing whatever makes you happy. And so um, having an adversity filled life and lacking a lot, it, um, and then being born and raised in Detroit as well, uh, where nothing is handed to you, you got to work for everything. And so that kind of was the foundation that I had. And then I've of course always wanted entrepreneurship. I was taught the definition of inventor in like second or third grade. And then from that point, the day I learned the definition of what an inventor was, I knew it was my destiny. I just had to have it. It was like this burning passion inside of me. Uh, just didn't know what kind of business I would go into, but I was always selling something. Elementary, middle, and high school, you could catch me selling candy chips, juice boxes to classmates. When people see me from high school or middle school or elementary school, there's always some story of, I remember used to sell chips. I remember used to sell juice boxes. It's just something that I felt like I was born to do, um, be an entrepreneur. I didn't know that I would end up in food and beverage. It just kind of happened that way. But I, I knew for a long time that entrepreneurship was my destiny. It's funny you should say you didn't know you would end up in food. What was your original plan after graduating high school? Like, what did you think would be your career path? So my plan was to go to Howard, which is uh, where I went for some time, for like one or two semesters. I was going to graduate from the School of Business um, and get a very high-paying job on Wall Street. And then my plan was to quit that job after working there for maybe one or two years and saving up, saving a bunch of money. And I've always been known for saving. Um, people have been calling me cheap my entire life. Um, I'll take it. And I was going to save like every dime I made and then go and invest and start some type of business. I didn't know what type though. Like I had no clue. I just knew I would start a business and then planes, plans changed. Um, First semester freshman year at Howard, I realized how student loans work. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I I would have graduated with about a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, and I just couldn't accept that. And I'm not one like I don't do debt. Like no one likes debt, but I like don't do debt at all. And so unless I absolutely have to, and so I figured, you know what? Why not cut a few steps and go for my true dream, which was entrepreneurship? Then. I was like 19. I had no responsibilities. I didn't have any bills. I wasn't married yet. I had no kids. All I had to do was make sure I ate every day. And entrepreneurship, with, which is a field that it, there's no security and it's such high risk, I felt like it was best to do it while I was so young. So that if, even though I had no plan B, if things didn't work out, I could always go back to school or, you know, and get a job and, you know, go for a more secure life. And so when you left Howard, was it like a huge controversy at home or were you just like, OK, I'm coming home and here's what I'm going to do. And then you started doing it. Uh, well, that's always how I make decisions. Hey, this is what it is. And if anybody disagrees, then that I mean, I, I've always been one who's determined to do whatever it is that I want to do. And so. People disagreed with it, but it wasn't out of it was just out of, hey, we just want to see you win. We want to see you happy. And society tells us the only way to be successful is to go to college, get a degree, get a job, get your benefits and get your retirement plan. And anything else is kind of scary to your average person. So people had fears in the beginning, but the fear kind of turned into support as people started to see 
okay, maybe she's on to something here. Maybe she is going to stick to this. Maybe there, she will make some success of this. Because if you think about it, if my daughter comes to me and says, hey, I'm going to drop out of college and I'm going to go start a tea business, I don't know. Well, me having done that, I would root for her. But had I not experienced that already, I don't know if I would be so okay with that. Right, right. Isn't it funny yeah. how we're we're fearful of things like, you know, going out, being an entrepreneur, but we're not fearful of taking on debt. We're like, oh, that's okay. Everyone does that. Take on $100,000. Right. <laughs> like, no right. one's scared of that well, anymore. Yeah, I'm opposite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Let's talk about the whole idea of teas. Now, I'm Jamaican, so I'm very um, intrigued by this whole idea of having a family recipe. And when did you even start thinking about food? Because as you said, you weren't thinking about any particular area of entrepreneurship. So when did this happen? Well, I've always had a passion for food. I just still, for some reason, I didn't think I would end up in the industry, but I've always had a passion for my taste buds, if you will. <laughs> and on my paternal side, food is like how we love. It's in my DNA. Like my great grandfather, who I got the recipe from, he owned one of the largest catering businesses in the Bronx. It was called Byron's Catering. He was master chef for Marcus Garvey's Black Star Line. Um, I've got cousins who are currently master chefs. Uh, everyone cooks in our family. Like the Thanksgiving dinners on my paternal side are really big. Like the last dinner that I went to, there was over a hundred people that showed up to one house for, for dinner. <laughs> like food is literally the way we love on that side. So it just, I don't know. It just kind of naturally happened. The, the recipe was passed down from my great grandfather. And before he died, his instructions were for this recipe to be sold and not told, which means put it on the market. And I would just watch how people would rave over this tea every Thanksgiving. And so I figured, why not um, use this as my ticket to entrepreneurship? And then I can also carry on the family legacy this way. And so I just kind of fell into it. No, I didn't grow up with a passion for tea or anything like that. I just fell into it. And when you say fell into it, I've read that you went back home or living in the basement and started selling these teas out of your trunk. How did that work? So, well, it worked. I'm I'm still here today. <laughs> um, yeah, when I first dropped out at Howard, I moved back to Detroit, moved into my mother's basement. And of course, she thought I was crazy because I told her I was leaving school to start a beverage company. And when she said, what's your plan? It was to go to the grocery store and buy some tea bags and then figure it out from there. <laughs> Started out selling tea out of my trunk. I drove a 96 hatchback green escort the stick shift that that green escort that everybody had like everybody in the country had this green escort and um i would load my cooler and put it in the truck and i would make the tea at night get up in the morning and bottle it and wherever i saw people i literally would pull over and park and pull my cooler out and and try to sell get out. and i guarantee <laughs> it had to be good because i guaranteed myself and the guarantee was if you don't like it, I'll buy it back. And people would try it right in front of me, like banking on them not liking it. And to this day, I have yet to have one person make me buy the tea bag. Everyone loves it that tries it. So you were pulling up to people, just crowds of people on the street. Were you also doing like fairs and festivals or any kind of vending? Yeah, no, I wasn't doing it. I wasn't paying um, like vendor slot fees. I didn't have that kind of money. I would just show up to festivals at Heart Plaza. 
um, did like major festivals. I would just pull up with my cooler and walk around. And whenever I, I get, I got kicked out of a lot of festivals. And when when security would find me selling for my cooler, I would just and they kicked me out of the festivals. I would just walk the perimeter. So when people would leave the festival, I would stand right there with my cooler because that was legal. Um, and I just figured it out. And then fast forward from there, I mean, today we're in our brand new state of the art production facility. We're in about seven, 800 stores across the country. We're in airports. Like I never saw, I saw myself getting to a point of success, but I never saw us opening up a production facility. And I'm now a co-packer and we bottle for other beverage companies. I did not see that in the playing cards. Now, how long were you selling out of your trunk before you started to reposition your business and actually try to get on store shelves? So I started out selling out of my trunk about 10 years ago. And then I got into, I did that for about two years. Then I got into a commercial kitchen, a shared kitchen space where I got my first license to brew. And then from there, we ended up in our production facility about four, three to four years ago. And were you on any store shelves before the production facility? Like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I was in, I got my first Whole Foods account before I ended up in the production facility. And then Whole Foods made a promise to, because I got a call from the regional VP for Whole Foods saying, hey, I hear there's talks about you opening a production facility. How they heard that, I have no idea. (laughs) Uh, And then he said, well, if this is true, let me know. And then once you open, we'll give you the entire region. Like we'll give you an expansion. And so I was in Whole Foods before the facility. Um, but I was, that was my only major chain I was in before the facility. I was in other small, like mom and pop when I was uh, in the commercial kitchen, but I didn't have, like Whole Foods was my only major account. And then I got production and then I got the other major accounts. Now for someone who is just starting out, selling an actual physical drink and wanting to get on store shelves, would you advise them to go about it the same way you did? Like I've read that you were just persistent. You were just walking into Whole Foods and asking, is that what you did for every different store that you ended up getting in? Or like, how did you approach that process? So starting out, that was all I knew how to do. And if, yes, I would recommend that unless you've got some type of connection um, to where you don't have to start from the ground up, but guerrilla marketing was my only way. And we still believe in guerrilla marketing. Um, but yeah, work with what you got. And yes, persistence is key. Resilience is key because you get a lot of no's before you get that one yes. And then as you perform, I'm at the point now where a lot of the stores are calling me saying, hey, we want your your product on our show. So Whole Foods, I walked into a store and started from the very, very bottom. And then as time went on, then major chains started calling me, offering opportunities. Um, But yeah, absolutely. I would recommend the same thing. If you've got no in, then start with what you have and that's yourself. The worst that can happen is you walk in with your product and you find, like I literally walked into a Whole Foods, which was my dream account. And I figured, why not start at the top? If this is where I want to be, then I'm going to start here. Um, so I just walked into a Whole Foods. I saw a guy stocking beverages on the shelves and I just walked up to him and it all started there. And I uh, just asked him, what do I need to do to get my product on the shelves? And of course he laughed at me. I didn't even have <laughs> nutritional fat. I didn't have a barcode, but I didn't know where to get that stuff. But you get, you take little clues. Like that was a clue for me. Well, first of all, 
you need nutritional facts. And I'm like, oh, well, where do I get that? And I just had to figure it out. And um, yeah, I would definitely recommend that. Just working with what you have. And if all you have is yourself and your product, then walk into your dream account, whatever store you want to be in and start from, from there, get a clue from somebody stocking the show. Yeah. That's, that's such a good tip. And you're literally getting a clue, like how, you know, the worst that could happen is they tell you you don't have something, but now you know, you need that thing and nutritional facts. Like who would even think about that? How did you go about doing that? Like you were just like reverse engineering the recipe and and having to literally figure out how to convert that into nutrition facts. Um, so I didn't do the nutritional facts myself. Um, I hired a food chemist. Um, first I was going to have scientists recreate the formula and the samples I got back. Cause everyone's like, you got to commercialize your recipe. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And the stuff they were sending me back did not taste like, it didn't taste real. It tasted like, so you know how you'll see on certain ingredient labels, it'll have all this stuff. It's like, how do you even pronounce these right. scientific words? not real ingredients. So then when I wasn't happy with the samples I was getting back, I ended up cutting open tea bags and separating with a magnifying glass, trying to find out how many of each herb was in there. And then I became the chemist myself and reformulated and commercialized the recipe myself. I did not know I would end up doing that, but that's what it took. Now the nutritional facts, um, I sent it into a lab and then they gave, they give me back the nutritional facts like the percentages of vitamin c sugar carbs whatever it is on the nutritional label i don't do that myself but i started out with google and then the first thing you said was well you don't even have nutritional facts so i googled how to get nutritional facts and just you take the little clues and literally i've just been figuring this thing out since day one i can't believe you ripped open the tea bag that is wow <laughs> But you do what you got to do. Yeah. So early on, you said that you don't do debt, right? But this process is starting to sound more expensive. Like you are in a facility, you have more bottles, more teas, more production, and also you're hiring people. So how, walk us through the, the steps to like going from just Naila and her trunk to now mass producing. So I have gotten to the point where I've had to take on very, very small amount of debt. Um, but most of the stuff we funded through T-cells and we've gotten by just like that. So I learned, I went and took a class and learned how to run a hot fill operation. When we bought equipment, we paid that in full with T-cells. When we did our packaging like we created our labels and had to buy barcodes, all of that little stuff, it adds up. But at the time, there were small, very small expenses. And then when I got to the point where we are now, like when Sam's Club took us on, I did not know that was going to be that much of an uptick um, that fast. And so at that point, yes, I had to take on some debt because we've got, like if I need to go deliver just making up numbers, a hundred thousand bottles of tea for a PO. I've got to, I had to go and borrow for that initial PO, but then we move forward from that point off of T cells. But as I'm like right now, we're still evolving and looking at a bigger production facility. I may have to take on some debt for that. Um, I take it on when it's absolutely necessary. Okay. 
And I've also heard you say that you knew nothing about business. Obviously, you'd had a, a bit of a few semesters at Howard in the business school, but you were doing a lot of this and having to learn on the go. What steps did you take to get a team around you that knew the things you didn't? Well, I have like a whole crew of mentors. Like mentors are very important. And a lot of my mentors are not even directly in food and beverage. Um, they have nothing to do with it. But some are in production, but it might be, for example, auto production. And I just ask questions. Like if I have a question, I'm, I'm that one who will randomly call with, and it's always the most random question ever. But along with mentors come very, very large networks. And somebody has the answer, no matter what. So like when I purchased all my production equipment, I had no idea who to call, what to ask for. Like I didn't know what I was doing. But prayer actually is how I've gotten through a lot of these things. Like I prayed for answers to, okay, who am I going to call to purchase production equipment? Like I have no idea. And then a guy, I was at Hart, Michigan at an incubator learning hot field process. And this guy just walks up. And he happened to be selling this incubator equipment. And he's like, I hear you're looking to buy equipment. Well, that's what I do. Like talking and putting it out there that I'm looking for equipment and praying and just communicating, the answers are always there. Like it's, there's no cookie cutter to entrepreneurship. Even if there's an, someone else that I'm mentoring that wants to be in the beverage industry, their path is always going to be a little unique to mine. So there's no straightforward answers that anyone can give. It's just when you have questions, you ask and it's just trial and error. That makes perfect sense. And I like the fact that you've always taken steps to position yourself for that next level. So you mentioned the incubator and I know you also participated in the MBAs Across America program. Can you talk a little bit about how you identify opportunities and what kind of opportunities you participated in? And then how do you know when to stop going through these things and just start working? So I never stopped working. It was always working through these different programs. MBAs Across America actually helped me a lot. So they came in on like a Monday and they're like, we're here for a week to help solve whatever problem you have. What problems can we solve for you? I was not organized in my books at the time. Like I had no idea how much I was paying per bottle for finished product. I was just guessing at this thing and praying and hoping that I was making more than I was spending. But I didn't know, I didn't have a formula for breaking down to the ingredients, to the packaging materials, to palletizing and boxing, how much am I paying per unit? So the MBAX, MBAs across America, when they came in, they created a workbook for me that I still use to this day that breaks down. Like I use this thing every day and it helps me like when prices change, for example, if the price of honey goes up, I can go into this workbook, change the price of honey, and it'll tell me down to the ounce, how much I'm spending per ounce for honey per ounce per bottle of my finished product. I hope I'm not losing you here. No, no, no. This but, is this is awesome. I love the fact that you still use the workbook. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they created my uh, pricing structure and it tells me, so when I'm negotiating price, I know my margins. I know how much room I have for negotiation versus going in and just accepting anything because I don't know my pricing. So MBAs Across America definitely was extremely helpful in in where I am today based on them coming in on a Monday. And by Friday, they presented me with this workbook on how to create my pricing per bottle. 
and it, it lets me know how much I'm paying per bottle and then my target where my goals need to be, how many, how much I need to sell per month to break even, like all of that stuff with pricing. They created that in one week for me. They took all of my receipts and they like did it. They went back to their hotel. I didn't see them for the week and they came back on Friday and had presented this like master plan. Wow. And they told me they didn't sleep much, but they got it done. <laughs> and the, did the incubator come after that? And what was the reason for doing the incubator? So the incubator came before that. The incubator taught me the process for production. On um, The incubator taught me how to run a hot fill operation. So I went from plastic to glass. And I there's different... Cold filling and hot filling are opposite. I knew how to cold fill, but I had no clue... Um, what hot fill even was. So the incubator taught me a lot more about my process. And I learned a lot of the science behind the process of a hot fill operation. Wow. Yeah, the the incubator came first, but they're both extremely important. So did they address the marketing piece at all? I'm curious about this piece. Now, obviously, you have a very unique brand proposition, but did you struggle at all with clearly distinguishing yourself and just the oversaturated market of beverages in general and trying to communicate that to stores? Absolutely. That took me 10 years. I just figured out um, how I stand apart from other teas. It like 10 years later, and it's so simple, but when you're in it, sometimes you, you just miss it. And it took the makeover that MSNBC did on my company to realize, first of all, we're the only bottled Jamaican sweet tea in the entire country. I didn't know that until a few months back when MSNBC did the makeover on my company because I kept trying to articulate in different ways what our tea is. Well, it's a, when you look at it, it's red. So it's like red tea. Well, what makes it red? Hibiscus. So it's a hibiscus tea. Well, what is hibiscus? It's a tropical flower. So that's it. It's a tropical tea. And then it's like, well, what is tropical tea? Like every time we try to market the tea as something, it raised more questions and it, it wasn't clear as to what Ellis Island tea was. So after 10 years, we have finally figured out what it is. It is Jamaican sweet tea. Wow. And the whole time it's been Jamaican sweet tea, we just didn't know how to articulate that because there is no Jamaican sweet tea in the country. Mm-hmm. So it's like it, it took us 10 years to figure that out. It just goes to show how, it, you know, marketing is it's, it's something people sometimes take for granted. But but and, and they think about it as just the promo side. But it really is that identifying what you are bringing to market and who needs this product or what, what they need to know about this product. And that's the part that we don't spend enough time talking about. But it's so important. Hey, guys, it's Michaela with a quick word from our sponsor. Okay, I have a side hustle hack for all to hear, and it's called Skillshare. You want to know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. There's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial. And my go-to is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp, all through Skillshare. 
And now, Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. So let's talk a little bit about you have been featured on TV. You've gotten some, you've earned some great opportunities. And I want to know how you sought out those opportunities or, you know, pitch yourself for those opportunities and talk a little bit about how they've taken you to the next level. Well, on the getting placement and like TV shows, radio interviews, podcasts, things of that nature. And you may not believe me when I say this, but I've never gone and sought those opportunities. They just kind of came and it was due to, I guess, doing something unique. And it, it all started happening when I got into my production facility. So I didn't know that, um, and we're still researching to find, but so far I'm the only black female in the country. First it was black female under 30, but now it's only black female in the country who owns and operates a beverage manufacturing operation. So there are plenty of beverage companies, but I'm the only black female-owned beverage manufacturing operation. And so because it's a unique story, media has gravitated to it. And it's like this, is she going to sink or is she going to swim kind of thing? Everybody's wondering, am I going to end up being successful? Um, No, I have not reached a level of success that I would like to. I still consider myself a success in the making. A lot of people are calling me an overnight success, but it took me 10 years to become what they're calling an overnight success. And we're still like, we're just getting started. And so I think the fact that what we're doing, it being so unique, I think that's what kind of makes it attractive to media. But yeah, that part, we've just been very blessed. It makes sense. I mean, what you're doing is, it's incredible. It's unique. And speaking of, you know, attracting attention now, I've read that you have a silent partner who did some of the investment for the production facility. Was that another case Mm of someone being attracted to your hard work and what you're building and your mission? Yes. um, That had to do, and this, and my annual investor is someone who I, uh, I met him while I was selling tea out of my trunk and I walked into his pharmacy one day and um, did my, my pitch and guaranteed the sale. And he bought a bottle for him and his entire staff. And then um, he gave me a fifty dollars tip. Now, mind you, I was like nineteen, so <laughs> that meant the world to me, and that was so much money to me. And then he told me, "Man, this stuff is good. My staff loves it. If on the days where you can't sell your whole cooler, just come to me at the end of your selling, and then we'll buy what's left." So what I started doing was starting out <laughs> at the pharmacy, like, "Man, I just can't sell it today," and he would buy the whole cooler. And so from there, I didn't know he was watching me to see if I was going to be persistent. And after about a year and a half, two years, he said, hey, what does it take to make this a real business? Like, I want to help you get to the next level. Like, you got to get out of selling out of your trunk. What is it going to take? And then my response was, well, it's going to take money, duh. Like, I didn't know he was serious. (laughs) And so from there, he's been my, like, angel on earth. And he, yeah, he invested in the company and he did help us with the new facility that we're in. And he helped with purchasing equipment and everything. Angel investing. I was just reading an awesome article about the pipeline angels. And, you know, perhaps I need to have the founder on the show, but just 
one, educating, you know, wealthy members of our community about investing into the up and coming startups who need that capital. And, you know, just pairing those two together is so needed. And, you know, I'm so glad you were able to take advantage of an angel investor and continue to work together to build something great. Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, all the other communities do it. And um, I think ours should, <laughs> should do it, too. I agree with you there. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about the business before we transition to the lightning round. So one, I'd love to know, when did you start to generate profit? I know you were making revenue and increasing each and every year, but when were you able to actually take a little bit of salary from that? And what were the first things you invested back into your business? So in the beginning, every dollar that came in, every penny that came in went right back into the business because as soon as I thought I was going to be able to take a check home. Something major broke and I needed to take the whole check and buy a new part or my company truck died. I had to buy a new truck. Like there was always something. We're actually just now getting to the point where um, we are cash flow positive. That took me 10 years because I'm brand new to this, this cash flow positive thing. Sometimes I don't even know how to feel because it's like, well, there's money in the account. There must be something that I need to go buy to fix. <laughs> it, it feels weird, but it feels great at the same time. Yeah. Um, but we are still new, so we're not like balling out of control. Um, but we are finally cash flow positive. But to a- answer your question, that took me ten years. Congratulations on being cash flow positive. And by the way, we didn't talk about this as much, but I know throughout this these ten years, you became a mom. You got married, and you know, juggling all of that, like. That is incredible to me. (laughs) Yeah, it is quite the challenge, um, but it's worth the challenge. As you know, the balancing side, we're still figuring that out as we go, but we we have a lot more balance today than we did when we got married. I got married four years ago. Um, We're coming up on our five-year anniversary in July, and um, shortly after we got pregnant, shortly after we bought a house and renovated, like we did everything at the same time. We renovated the plant all of that within like the same month of each other. So we, it was crazy in the beginning trying to find balance, but we're, um, we're finally getting to a point where things are getting smooth. Okay. That's what I like to hear. And I've read that, you know, you've taken your daughter into some business scenarios. Like, do you think she's helped you close some deals? <laughs> uh, actually, because she's the the celebrity, if we're going to be honest about it, with that video, that, that 1235 video. It's got over 100 million views. Yes. And, like, I'll get people that, uh, like, they won't know who I am. They won't know my story. They're not even listening. But then when we say one, the one, two, three, five girl, then it's all ears. So yes, I would say she has helped to close on a couple of deals. She just doesn't know it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> she's, she's helping to pay the bills since she was two. So what has changed in your business since you first got started? Um, I've got a team now and it feels amazing. How big? Well, we've got about 20 people. Um, starting out, I had to wear all the hats. I was everything. And um, I would even, in taking calls, I would pretend to be an assistant and then Kelly. So I would, <laughs> but it was just me the whole time. So it feels really good to share the load. And we're able to be a lot more productive. And um, we get so much more done with the team. But yeah, I have help now. 
Okay. That's the first thing that came to mind when you asked the question, and it feels so good to have help. How are you able to find dedicated and hardworking team members? Because I know that can be a challenge sometimes. Oh, that is currently quite the challenge. I, uh, I've had to pray my way through on that one and just beg God to send me people who are dedicated because I, it got to a point where I was pouring into people and then they would be gone in like two weeks. And it's like, what a waste of my time. Um, but finding dedicated, a dedicated team. I mean, I'm, I hear all the time I'm preaching to the choir and, and I've got, and this is talking to mentors who have like multi-million dollar firms. Everyone has got the same issue with finding good people because I've, I'm told everyone who wants to work is already working. They already have a job. So what you're left with is, uh, it's a lot of work you got to put in. And so it's been very challenging, but I've been very blessed. The team that we currently have happens to be dedicated. Well, that's good. That's great. I know it can be a challenge. So I know you recently started an amazing partnership with Sam's Club. Can you talk a little bit about that, how it came to be and the next level that it took you to? Um, so Sam's Club has been like the best thing that has ever happened to us. And that opportunity came through a makeover that MSNBC did on uh, on my company. It, it comes on a show called Your Business. And when they came in and did the makeover, I was presented with an opportunity to pitch for Sam's Club. And I didn't think, like, I knew it was real. I, was knew, I knew I was going to get the pitch, but I didn't think Sam was actually going to take me serious. And when they loved the story and they loved the product and they gave me a shot, overnight, our revenue shot, like, way up. That's where a lot of my team came from. So before Sam's Club, we were like a three four-member team, and now we're a 20-member team. And I'm talking, I've only been on the shelves at Sam's for less than two months. And that's how good of a partnership it's been. And everything has been strategic. It's not like they just dumped me on the shelves and waited for me to fail like some of the other opportunities have. There was a lot more hand-holding and nurturing that Sam's is currently still doing with my account because they get it. They know I'm a small business. Um, they know I've never dealt with a bulk club store because it's a total different world than a regular grocery store and so the fact that they're so hands-on has helped us a lot like we would not be successful if they weren't as hands-on as they are with us so yeah sam's has been life-changing yes i like hearing that i like mm -hmm. hearing that they get it like you cannot just treat every business like you know like they can just jump in and, and get going like there's a learning curve so you you currently live in detroit and you made the decision to remain in Detroit and be part of that new wave of entrepreneurship. Do you see yourself there long-term? And if so, why? Um, Detroit is where I'm comfortable. Of course, I was born and raised. I'm a Detroit native and I've got the most connections here. Detroit is the reason. Detroit played a huge role in my resilience. And I love my city. I can't say what the future holds. I just know right now, today, we're happy. Um, we're here in Detroit and we're providing jobs for other Detroiters and other Detroit natives. And it, it feels amazing to be able to do so. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm never like if I, as I expand and open up more production facilities, I may have multiple locations, but um, I do see myself headquartered here long-term. But if I open up multiple production facilities in other regions, um, we'll just have multiple facilities, but I don't ever see myself packing up 
in leaving Detroit. And so overall, what would you say was the biggest challenge or most surprising part of entrepreneurship so far? The biggest challenge. I mean, there's, there are a lot of challenges. Once you think you're making it through the biggest one, another one bigger than that, that blows your mind comes the biggest surprise. Um, I knew it was going to be extremely hard from day one. Um, the biggest surprise is that we are, is how far we've come. I would say, like I, like I said, I didn't expect to have a production facility and us doing our production in-house. I didn't see that in the playing cards. That's been quite a surprise, hmm. but yeah, I mean, challenges are, there's no challenge that surprises me anymore. Um, I did have to go through a third party audit and our facility is NSF certified. And the fact that we passed that on the first go around, I'm told is unheard of. And th- these are the same audits that like Pepsi and Coke have to pass. And we passed it on the first go around. And it's always a shock when people say, oh, you're in, for example, oh, you're in Sam's Club. Well, are you third-party QA, quality assurance certified? And then when I say yes, they never believe me. And I'll say, no, wait, like NSF certified or like SQF, like like that certification. And when I explain over and over again, yes, I am. Otherwise, I would not be doing business with airports. I would not be doing business with SAMs. No one can ever believe that. And so I would say that's pretty surprising. I did not expect to pass that grueling nine-hour audit the first go-round, but we did. And the amount of things that we've learned since day one, that surprises me as well. Um, So how far we've come, the fact that we are, people say we've made it, we're still making it. But how far we've come, I just, 10 years ago, if I was talking to myself, I would not see this like production and co-packing and bottling and helping other beverage companies that come behind me. I just, in the amount of awards, I just would not, believe that that was going to happen the way it did. Kudos to you. And I know, you know, that sometimes people will say, you know, especially with these interviews and they just focus on like, you've made it, you're great. But I know it's a daily grind. I mean, like anything at any moment when you're depending on all these different factors just to get your tea in one bottle, like any one factor could, you know, derail or turn things in a different direction. So I know it's a daily grind. So kudos to you for keeping it going. Thank you so much. I appreciate the support and the recognition. Absolutely. So now we're going to jump into the lightning round. Essentially, you just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? I am. (laughs) All right. Number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Uh, Michigan State Product Center. All right. Uh, They've helped with the, you know, the random stuff, nutritional facts, barcodes, stuff like that. Number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? Oh, uh, Think and Grow Rich. Okay. Who inspires you and why? First person that came to mind was Jay-Z. And let me explain. And I am not into rap, but this 444 album has been so inspiring. And it has been, as far as like being quote unquote woke, I think he's he's starting to get it because the issue that I've had in the past is a lot of these celebrities will get on and then don't provide anything to help for those who come after them. And they make it look easy and they're flashy with jewelry and everyone wants to talk about red bottoms and Gucci belts, but no one is talking about anything of substance. And the album 444 is full of substance and it helps to motivate me because motivations change. And every morning when I wake up, 
it may change. It's like, okay, what's going to make me get out of bed at 4.30 a.m. this time? And and a lot of times, as of recently, it's been Jay-Z's album, 444. Number four, what's a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? Prayer. Um, my model for success has always been pray like everything depends on God and work like everything depends on me. And uh, prayer, prayer, prayer has, has pushed me through in times where going did get impossible. And um, yet again, I was able to still rise up the next day and keep it moving. Prayer has, has gotten me through those times when nothing else, when all, all else fails, prayer has gotten me through. Amen. And finally, number five, what's your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss but are worried about losing a steady paycheck? Hmm, have faith. And uh, like I said, prayer has been everything for me, but determination, persistence, and resilience is what has worked for me so far. And having that faith and knowing that if I do my best, God is going to do the rest and he always carries me. And yeah, I had that fear in the beginning of, well, what if this doesn't work? And what if, what's my plan B? And everyone always says, always put your, never put your eggs in, in one basket. Well, that's exactly what I did. I put all my eggs in one basket and I created a situation where failure was not an option. You know why? Because I didn't have a plan B. And so I created a situation where I had no choice and there's no, there's no giving up. And because I I had to live every day and then I, I got married and I had a kid and like my kids got to eat. So I pray my way through and I do not take no for an answer and being resilient is what's gotten me through. And so, and having faith, like walking, I, I walk by faith and not by sight. I don't walk by fear. And so it's been, it's turned out to be a hundred percent successful for me and creating, starting out by having all of these, well, in case, if this fails, I can do that. And if that fails, I can do that. I can spread my eggs into all these baskets. I just, I don't see it ever working out. Seeing full success in one of the baskets, if you're spreading yourself, instead of focusing on that one thing, whatever your passion is, the burning passion, um, go for it. If it's entrepreneurship, go for it. And count on God to carry you through in, in times when it, when it gets too tough. That is a great note to end on. I relate to that. I I hear that. And thank you. Thank you for that. So what's the best way that we can connect with you after this episode? So uh, social media is where we announce where like new stores, new accounts that we get. um, And we try to like all announcements we try to do through social media. All of my handles are the same at Ellis Island T. um, And on Facebook, it's just Ellis Island T. That is the best way to uh, keep up with us. We do check when messages are sent. I do get them. So yeah, I would say social media is the best way. All righty. Well, thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair today, Naila. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. All right. And there you have it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the side hustle pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you.